so, so I, I want to kind of give you some heads up. This is the first of the year, and if you notice that I've got on something a little crazy for John Miller, I did this on purpose, and I was just cringing when I put on this real bright shirt and this, this, uh, this, yeah, this, and. Uh, and the reason I did it is kind of start out the first of the year, and I want to talk just about, well, don't time me, but about 30 seconds on style. You know, how, how many people have gone through their, your life, and you look back, some of us might look back on our uh, high school pictures and go, well, you still got the same hairdo, but you still, you still have that shirt, but most of us realize that through our life, we've, we've seen styles come, and we've seen styles go, and we've seen styles come back. How many people see that? You know, you know it used to be the, the, well, they used to be labeled the hippies. Remember long hair? No hair. Short hair. Then you get to the place now where long hair is kind of coming back in style. You, you had the, the straight, uh, well, back then, okay, I'm not done yet. Turn that light back on. You had the, you kind of had the tight jeans, you know, then you got the loose jeans, and then you got the bell bottoms, and then it, it, it just cycles. How many guys remember back when we wore ties a little bit more? You had the big old fat ties, and then the little skinny ties, and then the sock ties, and then... It's funny because my children, four children, and they all make fun of my styles. They look at me and go, Dad! And then there was a day that Brooke and Mark broke in. I said, broke into my closet. And I had some of my old Carnegie sweaters up in a box, you know. And they brought them back out. And they looked like a little girl wearing a man's sweater. But that was stylish. Come on now. Here's what I want you to do. Kind of the parallel that I'm bringing in. As we get to the new year, and, and you realize that the, the, some of the styles that you wear today... You wouldn't have been caught dead in when you went to high school. Anybody with me on that? Nobody's going to raise their hand and agree with me on that? Come on, liberating. Sometimes we'll even wear things because of a brand. Nike. Louis Vuitton. All these. Some of us won't wear something that maybe is from a, a shopping center or a mall or a department store or a Walmart because it has a brand on it. Listen to me. I remember my mother got me a sweatshirt. I'm a guy in high school. I don't care. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. I, I didn't realize, though, that McGregor was Kmart brand. Until I walked down the hall at school. Miller's got on a Kmart. The bottom line is as we start this year, you have to be comfortable. And it can't be something when you're following God, just a cool thing to do. And the whole thing is, is styles come and go, but you do not serve God just because it's cool. Or just because you want a fire protection. I don't want to go to hell. Sign me up. But this year, I want you to go deeper in Christ. And as we talked about last year, we, we, we focused on you're blessed. And once, you know, people flopped around like a fish on a hook, you know, I don't know if I'm blessed. I don't know if I'm blessed. I don't, I don't say that. I don't. Calm down. And then pretty soon they'd be going, man, God has blessed me. 
then they began to understand the second part of the year is that you're blessed in order to be a blessing. Are you looking for ways to bless because God has blessed you in, in not just money, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control. All those elements of the fruit of the Spirit working in your life, you have more than enough. And you can share that. This year, I kind of want to go into the vein of thinking that now walk that out. Begin walking it out. Begin to understand that when trouble comes in your life and it shows up to ask the question, who are you? You can stand there and say, I'll tell you who I am. And you don't have to go, uh, let me check the style. Is it is it politically correct this year to say that I'm a Christian? Happy holidays. Instead of, oh, it's a Merry Christmas. Am I making sense? I hope I am. Okay, well, let me get something funny so you can laugh. I can tell you're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. A frog, that's right. Mr. Ribbit, a frog, goes into a bank, and he goes to a bank because he needs a loan. And so he goes up to the counter and talks to the clerk at the counter, and he sees her little... Uh, plate there her name is patty whack and he says hello mrs patty whack what is the that's an interesting name patty whack and she says yes i'm i'm the clerk here at the bank so the frog said well i need a loan and uh, patty says well we're going to need some collateral. Do you have anything to put up for the loan? And he hands Patty a little, it's a little, looks like a little wooden doll, a figurine. Hello. And so Patty takes the little figurine to the boss in the back and the manager. And, and she goes in and she says, there's a frog out there that wants a loan. And the manager says, does he have any collateral? And Patty says, well, he gave me this and hands it to the manager. And the manager goes, huh. And she says, is that enough? The manager slaps his head and says, that's a knickknack, Patty Whack. Give a frog a loan. <laughs> it's going to be a long year. All right. <laughs> Last week we talked about the man at the pool of Bethesda. And the question Jesus asked him was, do you want to get well? I've thought about that all week. thought about it the week before as I prepared for that message. And this week I've thought about it. A lot of people will make an excuse why they're still in that spot for 38 years. And the question comes and it kind of burns in some of our ears when we go, well, you know, you know, the reason why uh, I'm where I'm at and I haven't progressed in my life is because uh, and and after we get done with all the excuses, we realize we're just like that guy that's been at the pool of Bethesda believing that it's OK because it isn't his fault. And that if if something happens, which was not even biblical, the man was Jewish, he had a belief system, but it wasn't based on the word of God. 
this this morning, and as we start 2024 out, as I said during the Lord's Supper, when you do right and trouble shows up and ask, who are you? There's a there's an answer that has to be given, and you will give an answer. It isn't one of those that maybe you will, maybe no. You're going to get. It could just be in a in your behavior, but you're giving an answer of who you are. This morning is one of a passage of scripture that means so much to me because I I, I constantly when trouble shows up I go to this scripture. In this story in the Bible that gives me assurance and confidence. Not because, let, let me tell you, I just thought of something. Today, 32 years, pastor in the chapel. 32. Thank you for that golf clap, very much. 32, but when trouble showed up in 32 years, it hasn't always been a given that I've said, you know, I'm a, with confidence, I'm a ch- child of God. There's times when, I, unfortunately, I began to, ah, God, I don't. The, the title of my message today is Barbarians at the Gate. When the enemy comes, trouble comes, and it's at the gate, wanting to come in and eat you, to kill you. We're going to talk about that this morning. And if you will, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 31. These are books in the Old Testament that describes life events. Just like if somebody did a diary about you and your time period. These were kings that ruled. And during this time period, we have a king that we're going to talk about today called Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of my favorite Bible characters. Because he's living in a time period where the style was to serve all the gods that you could get in your temple. His father even reportedly would sacrifice children in fire to other gods. I mean, this, this was a style of saying, you know what? We're going to hedge our belief system on a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And Hezekiah shows up and he says, oh, no, we're not anymore. And he does huge reforms in the religious system and belief system of the Jewish people. And he returns the people's hearts back to God. You know what I've said a million times, it seems like to me, is, Hey, whatever gets your attention, gets your focus. And Hezekiah knew that. I need to get the people's attention to bring them back and focus on God Almighty. The God that brought us out of Egypt into the promised land. He promised us and therefore he gave us what we're enjoying today. In this passage of scripture, it says this, and and I'll read this to, to again allow you to hear the word of God. This is not John Miller's opinion. This is the word of God. It says this. This is what Hezekiah did. This is what he is doing. Okay, This is an action. This is what he did throughout Judah. Doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord is God. I want to be Labeled that, don't you? Verse 21, in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. Now now look at the last part of that. 
what does it say, those last four words? He did all that, and so he prospered. He's doing the things that God asked him to do in order to be prosperous. And you know what? He says, hey, I'm going to try it. My forefathers didn't all try it. I'm going to take God at his word. He does it, and it says he's doing what's right, and he prospered. If you go to the next chapter, in chapter 32, verse 1, and it says this. Now this is looking after he's done all this. This is what he's doing. And then it says, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done. So he's done some things that were faithful and he's prospering. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. Now, I don't want to go on. Just for a second, think about this. He's doing everything right. He's prospering. And at those times, do we think that nothing ever is going to happen wrong to us? Maybe not a king that's from a distant country is going to come lay siege to our house. But something for us personally can be just as devastating. Someone in our life passes away. Someone... uh, does something to us, we lose our bit. All the things that we struggle with in our life as, as human beings that are breathing. This is when this happens. A king from another country is going to come and wage war against a king that's doing everything right. And he's prospering. Leave me alone. I just want to be on the mountaintop all the time. Now in verse 2 it says this. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem. Okay, I want you to pause there. Because the first point of my message today is the threat to my future. The threat to my future. There's always a threat that the enemy comes and he puts it on what you're going to be in the future. To get you to walk in the FUD that we early talked about, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, he tries to get you to just a threat of what could happen that's negative in your future. Now, remember, God's promises have gone forth. You can read those in Deuteronomy 28. When you serve me wholeheartedly, God says, I'll prosper you. You'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed going in. You'll be blessed going... This is what God has promised. The promises. I will give you a land flowing with milk. and I, they, They've acted on that. It's reality. They don't have to have faith anymore for it. Because it's manifest. They can see it. They can feel it. They can eat a grape off a tree they didn't plant. They're living in houses that they didn't build necessarily. Now, remember, here's the promises that have given people hope. The promises in the Word of God give us hope. Our hope is there that we can put our faith into the hope. Faith is being sure the things we hope for, certain of the things we do not see. The enemy comes against the hope that it will never happen. Therefore, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt is just there to tell you, you're not going to do that. God's not faithful. You've done everything right, but that doesn't matter. God isn't who he says he is and can't do what he says 
that he can do. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter, I believe it's uh, Hebrews chapter 4, where it says that because the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, it was because they did not mix faith with the promise. But because they did that, doesn't make God a liar. So let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, allow God to be true in your life by believing the promises that give you hope that you can put your faith in and walk it out. Okay. So all the enemy has to do is bring a little fear. This is what's happened. The king is going to come and wage war against a king that is is doing everything right. What's going to happen? Again, the Bible talks about faith without action is dead. In other words, you don't just sit on the couch or in in a verbal picture. You don't just do nothing. There is action that is put into place and your behavior shows it. What are you doing by faith? A lot of times it's what's coming out of your mouth that you miss. Because we live in a community that talks negative, prays the problem instead of the answer, and confession is almost made fun of. For the Bible to talk about speaking to things that are not as if it was, people look at it and go, you're crazy. And we could get into that. We'll get into it in later weeks and months talking about our confession. But you do the same thing. You you speak prophetically over I don't know if I'll ever do that. Boy, I tell you, little, little twang, a little redneck in there. I don't know, you know, whatever. You know, I've been just trying to catch a sickness. Don't catch it. But again, it's, it's, it's that coming out of your mouth is part of the behavior of walking in faith or not. Don't overlook what's coming out of your mouth because a lot of times it's what's inside of you. And sometimes what's inside of you, if you don't like what's inside of you, just begin to work on that. And probably the hardest part for all, well, for me, I can't speak for you, But it's just, shh, be quiet. Don't get in agreement with that. And and here's Hezekiah, and he does it. He does not get in agreement with it. This is a king that is sweeping through the land, Sennacherib. What a name, huh? Sennacherib. He's sweeping through the land and making waste to everything. That country's mine, that country's mine, that country's mine. I'll take that. I've always wanted to be there. I think I'll take that. So, again, when... Hezekiah in verse 1 sees that Sennacherib has come and he intends to make war on Jerusalem. Verse 2 says this, or verse 3 says this. He consulted with his officials. This is the king of Jerusalem, or the king of Israel, Judah. And it says this. He consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside of the city, and they helped him. A large force of men assembled, and they blocked all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. He said, why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? Now, what, what, what does that mean to you and me? You realize if you visit Jerusalem today, you can visit Hezekiah's uh, uh, well or his, his stream that comes in, even to this day. He's saying to himself, and then he tells the people, that we're not going to just sit here and do nothing and lay down. We're going to do something. We're going to fight back. The first thing is we're going to do this. We're going to dig a well so that we're not in siege inside of the city and we don't have any water. 
Then he worked hard repairing the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. Do you understand that he realized one day a storm's going to come and he's not going to wait for the storm. He's going to begin to prepare for the storm so that he can withstand the storm. He's going to do all he can do and allow God to do all the rest. Can you hear me today? I know it's Sunday morning. I know it's a little early. It's the first. You've got all these excuses, but listen to me. He realizes that he's going to do all he can do and allow God to do all the rest in him. One time I heard a story about a, a, a rancher, and he had a big ranch, and he always had employees that would just not do the job. And one day he fired them, and he got, you know, an ad in the paper out, come and work for me if you're a, a, a ranch uh, supervisor, if you have experience. And so all these guys came through, and none of them convinced him that they would not do the same thing as everybody else and leave things undone. One day he met a guy that came for an interview, and he said, I'll tell you, owner, you know, uh, ranch owner. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll do a good job, but I can sleep in the middle of a storm. And the owner of the ranch kind of thought, well, that's kind of crazy to say that, but he didn't. And so he showed him, he goes, you know what? All of my chickens are over here. All of my horses are over here. All my cows are over here. All my pigs are over here. I want them to be taken care of. I want them to be looked after. He goes, you know what? I can do what you're telling me to do. I've done it in the past, but the one thing you need to remember He says, I can sleep in the middle of a storm. And he went through the whole ranch. He drove him around and he showed him the whole ranch. And every time the guy that came for the interview said, I can do that, but I want you to be assured that I can sleep in the middle of a storm. The owner thought, that guy, he's intriguing. You're hired. Weeks later... The owner of the ranch is sleeping and a storm comes in. One of those Texas storms where you go, oh my goodness, no one's going to show up in a minute here. <laughs> the wind blew and I mean the house began to rattle. And he thought, oh no, all the horses are not taking care of the pigs, are the chickens. Are. And he got up and he, he ran to the bunkhouse where the foreman was and all the men. And he told him, he said, well, try to wake him up. And the guy could not be woke up. He was sleeping so hard. So he thought, I don't have time to do this. So he ran out to take care of all the chickens, all the hogs, all the cows, and all the animals. And he, he, everything was already put up and tightly secure. Everything was safe and sound. And the owner stopped in his tracks and realized now what the man said. I can sleep in the middle of the storm. Why? Because he realized that the man had taken care of all those things before the storm had hit. He could sleep in peace, realizing it's okay. That's what Hezekiah is doing. Sometimes we wait till the storm hits, and then we go, let me tell you, if you don't have the answer before the question is asked, it's going to be harder for you than most people. And as a believer in Christ, listen, this is why you're here today. You're going through things. You're listening. You're applying it to your life. You're showing up when most people don't even show up. But here's what the deal is, is when COVID hits and everybody's going, ah, the Christian, it's your turn. Step up. Have you been preparing? 
to be light in darkness? Are you prepared? Have all these times that you've gone to church and heard that God is more than enough. I put my trust. Amen, brother. And then COVID shows up and there's no difference between the church and the world. Come on. This is a new year. This is a time that if you have been like that, you say, God, I repent. It's a new day. Let's go on. Can you sleep during the storm? Verse 6, he says, he appointed, he goes on not only to build more walls or he doesn't go just build a well, but he goes on to build weapons and he shields and he appoints military officers over people, assembled them before him uh, in the square of the city. And it says he encouraged them with these words. Listen to this. Does this, if anybody has been in the word of God for a little while, does this sound familiar to anyone? Listen to the words and then say, I've heard that before and where did you hear this before? He gets all the people together in the city square and he encourages them, encourages them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him and with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us, the Lord of God, to help us and fight our battles. I can't go around to go. Okay, you're first. You're second. Tell me, think about it. Have you heard this before? Did you remember when they go in the second time, they're going to conquer the promised land, and Joshua's there, and God keeps saying the same thing? Be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you. Do you remember another time when Gideon, we just talked about this a few weeks ago, and he's in a wine press. Why is he there? He's scared. And God shows up and says, the reason why you're going to be able to go against it, because I'm going to be with you. Be strong. Any other times? Have you heard anything like that? How about Elisha's servant? Well, remember, he goes outside. We talked about this about a month or so ago. He goes outside and he sees the army that has come against Elisha. And he's a servant. He goes, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, God, can you just open his eyes? Because there's greater with us people. The army that's with us is greater than the one that he sees. And God opens his eyes and the army of God is behind them. But you know me. Pastor John's favorite guy is David. And I love the story of everybody else on the battlefield sees how big Goliath is, but David sees how big his God is. And so when he goes there, he says, Does, is there not a cause to his brother Elip that is throwing down all kinds of insults to him? Isn't there a cause that somebody should go out and beat? And, and, and here's uh, the king that's head and shoulders of everybody, and he's not going to go fight Goliath. But David says, you can be strong and courageous because I will go fight him. Remember that. In the middle of the storm, when everything is going wrong or you see all the problems in your life, be strong and courageous because greater is he that is with you than he that is not, he that is in the world. The second thing I want you to see is the enemy sought to create panic. Now this builds for the last point. So I got to I got to I got to ask if you will please get this point. 
in our life, when the enemy comes, he's going to put a threat that this could happen. But then he's going to want to create a panic in you. Because all he has to do is to get you to walk in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Enough that you come into agreement. I'm not real for sure. I don't know. Maybe this bad thing is going to happen to me. As soon as he gets you off balance and bumps you enough with a panic, just to panic a little bit, all of a sudden you're on skates. You're on ice, so to speak. There is no security. There's no confidence. During World War II, war propaganda was one of the leading things that caused desertion and also even sometimes suicide on the battlefield. And and what would happen would be the enemy, the Japanese at the time or the Germans or against the United States, and they would come on speakers and they would do different things of propaganda to get to discourage the men on the front lines. And time and time again, they said to the men on the front line later, what is your greatest fear? It wasn't that a a, a powerful assault of an enemy soldiers would come against them. It wasn't their greatest fear that a, a new scary weapon would be used against them. But you know what the greatest fear of the man on the front line was? Was something would be happening at home to his family. Even a greater fear is if his wife was having maybe an affair or something at home and he couldn't do anything about it. So the war propaganda would begin to speak that what if. I think that we have it ring set, the lights. I'm good if you just turn them off. I'm sure Hezekiah had a no light panel like this. He can, I can do it too. All right. I say that, now I can't see my notes. War propaganda, just to put a little fear, just a little uncertainty, a little doubt into the soldier's mind, and they couldn't fight. But in this story, one of the greatest things that the enemy does, greatest things that the enemy does, still does to you and I. Somebody will say something to you, and another person will say something to you, and the more that we talk the problem, you know they're talking about laying off people down at work, People will line up to give you their opinion and speak that negative. Boy, I tell you what, what are we going to do if we lose a job? What's going to happen if that happens? What, what, what are we going to do? I don't like to sleep under a bridge. Do you? What? A bridge? It says that the king, Sennacherib, this is the enemy. He sends officials to Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem's in siege. You you history buffs, you guys that love history, study this. This is fascinating. Jerusalem is one of the most fortified cities in history. But still, enemies would come and lay siege to it. I feel like I'm on the disco. Talk about styles. This is John Travolta, if you didn't know what I was doing. It's hard enough to keep people's attention with lights blinking, and that's killing me. Okay, now listen to this. 
It says that the king, Sennacherib, what he does was he sends officials to Jerusalem. Picture this back wall as the wall of Jerusalem. And the officials have letters from Sennacherib. And he gets out here and he begins to yell this war propaganda. We're going to come and we're going to tear down your walls. We're going to kill all you. We're going to kill your mother. We're going to kill your father. We're going to kill your dentist. We're going to kill everybody. And what they're doing is they're coming and just to make sure that everybody is scared. But here's something that the Bible says, that they begin to speak in Hebrew. The, the officials of Jerusalem come out and go, you can speak in your own language. We understand it. He goes, no, we're going to speak in your language so those people can hear and be fearful. And then they'll get the chance of spreading it on and on to people around in Jerusalem. Now listen, the enemy knows your language. He knows the buttons that he can push. He knows your friends. A lot of them are good-meaning friends. I'm not saying that. They're not devils. Don't, don't hear Pastor John say that. But listen, it's easier to just speak fear, uncertainty, and doubt because you're always right. You never know. Well, who can be wrong on? You never know. You know what I'm talking about. He knows that if he can divide some of them. Now, here's something you need to know. Remember, Hezekiah has cleared up all these other gods in the land. Done away with them. Threw them away. Got rid of them. We're not doing that anymore, guys. That's caused a certain kind of division among the people because there's certain people that would say, Hey, I like serving Bell. I like Ashter. I love all that stuff. Sorry, we're not doing that. So when he comes and begins to, or the enemy becomes able to speak this fear, uncertainty, and doubt, the division of those people against Hezekiah is already there, kind of as an underlining curse. I mean, it's just kind of flowing underneath, and so they can stand up and again. He knows the enemy, divide and conquer, divide and conquer you realize that there's no place for division in the church. We could go there a little bit, but it gets a little insane. No, quit that. <laughs> don't, I don't need a cheerleader on that. But let me, let me say this. The reason you know that division don't belong in the church, Titus chapter 3, verse 10 says, a divisive person can bring condemnation on their own head. They're self-condemned. And what happens is people get in there and it says that divisive people, they're going to argue about this, you know, the law, the, the word of God. They would, did God say that? And they're just always divisive. Don't allow division to come into your life in the church. Just, just the fear, just the division is going to cause chaotic consequences in Jerusalem if the king doesn't say, hey, we're not doing that. Do you, do you realize how much fear can be brought to bear on people that are that are already insecure in their life? In history, there was a, a, a gangster, you know, called Black Bart. He was a criminal. He would rob stagecoaches when they went all the way from San Francisco to New York. 
And throughout the, throughout the history, it was like 29 stagecoaches that he robbed because he wore a black veil over his head. Nobody even saw him. But the reputation of Black Bart traveled through the land so hot that it came to the place where some people, uh, they wouldn't, he never fired a shot. He never even took one hostage. But the fear of Black Bart cowered even the strongest, you know, the, the, the guy that rode up that called it the shotgun. The bravest shotgun guy on the stagecoach that sat there next to the stagecoach driver never ever would have any kind of consequences on Black Bart. They were so scared that they'd throw their guns down, give him everything. Now let me give you the answer that the threat and the trying to put the panic on, the answer was God's love. And it's the answer in your life and mine. Now don't take that as lightly because you go, oh yeah, 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 God's love, God's love. But when you really begin to understand how much God loves you, there's an amazing confidence that comes over you as a child of God. If you go to Psalms chapter 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abideth under the shadow of the Most High. That chapter that's so powerful, it goes down and says, God says, I will rescue them because they lo- I love them. This is what's going to happen. You better know the answer before the storm comes. And here comes Hezekiah. He knows the answer. And he encourages the people to have a faithful life. He gets all the people together again and he reminds them that just because this enemy is out there, they're strong. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't say there's nobody there. No, he he sees them. They see them. But he says the greater force is within us. Who is with us? Now, When you begin to walk in that, not by might nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That letter that Sennacherib has been yelling up to the people has been given in order to give to the king, Hezekiah. And he gives... I can't read it, but just let me summarize it. He gives the king, Hezekiah, an insult after insult, but then he starts insulting God. Your God is no good. Just like all these other gods of all these other countries that I've already conquered, he's just going to be another one on my list. I want to apply that to your life. I know that you've been there. When you think that you're going to fall, you're going to make a mistake, you're going to, you're going to uh, lose this, you're not going to be that, things that you've walked by faith and believed for, now has come that you're going to have to see if that's going to you're, you're going to have You're going to have that time where you go, God, The enemy has challenged me, not only challenged me in my behavior of can I live a Christian life, but God, can I believe you? 
Hezekiah takes this letter. If you look at 2 Chronicles 32.20 for you that want to look back later on this. It says, and for this cause Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. This is, this is real. You've heard Isaiah. That guy is amazing as a prophet. He's there with Hezekiah crying and praying, God, we believe that you're going to do what you've promised. It's no different than the children of Israel deciding to go into the promised land, the second generation. It's no different of walking by faith and David running out to Goliath. Have you ever been in a place where the bully has just bullied you to the bully to the bully of most? And you go, I, I want to share with you a story that I share about every 10 years. So this is 32, about the third time I've shared this story. When I was in junior high, and yeah, work with me on this. When I was in junior high, I remember that I had a guy that was always bullying me. Always bullying me. And he wasn't enough totally to whoop me, but he had a friend. And he was known as the toughest guy. He was, in the pecking order, he was about the second toughest guy in the school. And he would go around and he would bully everybody. Well, this guy teamed up with him and showed up one day and said, we got your number. You can fill in the blank what they said. It wasn't all verbiage that we would share in church. It was very intimidating and said, we'll we'll get you right out there after school. The word started spreading around school. There's going to be a fight after school. Let me tell you, Sennacherib and Hezekiah's story is a lot greater, but not when it's, you know what I'm saying, that for me was just as great. And you go through problems in your life that you get to that place where it's just as great. The bully is going to meet you, and you know the outcome if God doesn't show up. The emotions of this story still, still, is amazing in my life because what happened is years before this actually happened, my mother at our church would run a bus ministry and she would go out and knock doors on Saturday. And she invited this one family that had five brothers. And one of them ended up being my best friend, Ricky Diaz. Now, you know as well as me, if you've got five brothers, you're going to be pretty tough. But those guys were Mexicans. And I mean to tell you that what they intimidated me just because the way that they looked. Just, well, Terry, I don't, and, 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 and they had a rough lifestyle. Their dad wasn't a, a Christian. Their family wasn't a Christian. They were just mean. Well, Ricky gave his heart to God. And his life was changing, but hadn't transformed totally yet, if you know what I mean. 
And Ricky was the toughest kid in the school, and nobody would even, if he would look at him, they'd be like, oh, don't look over there. Because of what? He was, to me, the word that was spreading got to his ears. And he showed up at my locker and said, hey, I'm hearing something. Is it true that this guy and this guy is going to meet you after school? Yeah. He said, could, could I show up with you? Now, when you're going through that, you don't have to go, can, can I get back with you on that in a little bit? I don't know. I said, would you please? Now, I, I wish I could tell you that the, you know, it was the whole rumble in the jungle at the end of, but the enemy, the, the guys that were bullying, they didn't even show up. Let, let me finish this story. So, the king, Hezekiah, and the prophet Isaiah, they go in and they lay this letter from Sennacherib. I'm going to kill everybody that... They put it on the altar. And they begin to cry and they begin to pray. Here we come to the end of the message, so get this. God speaks out. And he tells Hezekiah these words. I want you to go tell, I tell the king, Sennacherib, this, but I know where you stay and when you come and go and how you rage against me because you rage against me and because you are insolent has reached my ears, God says. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you come. Can I parallel, parallel this? The bully has showed up and told Hezekiah, I'm going to beat you up at the end of today's school. But God, the toughest one in the school, has showed up for Hezekiah. And says, you know what? Why don't you just pass these words on to the enemy? I got this. Can you hear me today? God has this. What is this? What you're going through. This year is starting out and we got a lot of weeks, a lot of months left in this year. And you know it. You've been here before. What is going to come in your life that's going to be knocking on your wall saying, we're going to come in and get what you have. God says, I got that. Have faith in me. Allow me to be God in your life. You've never been this way before maybe, but I will take care of you. I have this. Do you know that on that night, an angel of the Lord shows up. And this vast army that's surrounding laying siege to Jerusalem. That the angel of God shows up and 185,000 men of the enemy dies like that. When Sennacherib the king wakes up and realizes he doesn't have much of an army anymore, he turns around and he goes back to Assyria. But here's what's amazing. 
sometime after this event that his own sons go in and kill their father, Sennacherib. This king that has boasted, I'm going to do this to the people of God. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do all this to Hezekiah. I'm going to do this. Your God is nothing. I can defeat your God like it's a... Can't even keep his own sons from wreaking destruction on his own life. Can I end by saying this? That the Bible says that the conclusion of the story is not only the people are marvelously saved, but it says, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hands of others. He took care of them on every side. It goes on to say, Many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by the nations around him. Every time that you stand, listen to me, every time that you do a, just, I'm going to stand today. What am I going to do tomorrow? I don't know, but I do know that I'm going to stand tomorrow. And I'm going to believe on God tomorrow. And the next day and the next day is casting a vote. Listen, casting a vote to your identity of who you are. That's who you are. I'm a person that believes in God. He's going to come through again and again and again. Who am I? I'm casting a vote today. I'm casting a vote. Listen, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get every, every vote in an election to win. You're going to have ups and downs, but today I'm going to stand again. Barbarians are at the gate. Do you understand that? Do you understand they're coming? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand again. I'm going to stand today. I'm going to stand tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, today we decide this year we're going to stand. God, maybe we haven't done everything perfect in our life in the past, but today we make a decision to stand. We ask for forgiveness. We ask that, God, that you come into our life and again, that, God, through your mercy, that you restore us, you redeem us. You have called us by name. God, you have said we are yours. And, God, we receive that. Father, today, Without a doubt, God, without any question, God, we just say you are God and you can do what you've said that you can do. And God, the promises are for us. God, we have hope in your promises and we put our faith in our hope of what you said. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to be dismissed in about 30 seconds and there's ways to give all through, you know. And we're asking you to give this year. Some of you will try something different and it's called tithing. It's 10% of what you make. Listen, standing is doing the things that God has asked and watching the results. I'm too old for you to try to talk me out of tithing. It has worked so much that sometimes people look at me and go, how do you do that? I tithe. I encourage you to do it. I'm not afraid. I'm not trying to say uh, I'm, I'm intimidated by telling people to I'm saying tithe. Watch what God will do in your life. God is a mighty God and he can do what he says he can do. When you're dismissed in about 30 seconds, I want you to begin to process what you heard.
Because if you leave here and forget what I spoke on in about two hours, it is very little good to you. Begin to apply it to your life right now. Right now. What can I do right now to process what he's saying? Amen? Go get them, guys. You're dismissed.